<laughs> okay, so First Corinthians chapter three, and uh, it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to bump it back to nine. Okay, we're going to change things up. Getting liberal. Verse uh, nine through the end of the chapter. Um, for we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise, wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is, Christ, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to life. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what they have built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If, if any of you think you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Amen. Um, so this is my first chance to get to speak now that we are here and officially a part of Storyline. So I thought it would be wise to kind of share with you some of the, the dark underbelly of my, my thoughts and personality, just so that we could get our, our relationship off the right right track. Um, I was driving on a particular road the other day. Julie's like, oh gosh. <laughs> Why did you have to do um, it, Paul? I was driving on a particular road the other day, I think, I think on the way to a storyline gathering, and it just so happens this road, um, there's like all these churches right next to each other, kind of uh, on either side of the road, and so I was just noticing that, and I was noticing, um, you know, each one has a sign and kind of a, a, you know, verse or kind of a pithy saying on their sign, and I thought, well, you know, there's all these churches right next to each other, they've got to have the most pithy saying, because there's, you know, some competition here, and, you know, they've got to really beef up their uh, their sayings just to attract the people, and this is kind of the line of thought I was having, I was thinking, you know, these churches kind of represent kind of a modern approach versus kind of more of a postmodern approach. And I was thinking they, there was, I was just kind of thinking and picturing them as kind of being irrelevant in some ways. And I, I didn't think this, you know, in, in these sort of terms, but I was kind of thinking and feeling like, you know, I'm glad I'm, I'm a Christian that kind of gets it. And I'm part of a church that kind of gets it. Um, and, uh, you know that churches are not about just signs and buildings and stuff like that, but you know it's about discipleship and mission and this kind of thing. And then I got to study this text in preparation for tonight, and I started to realize, you know, I was caricaturing those those churches, in a sense, as being just irrelevant or behind the times or just you know just missing the boat in some ways. 
And um, I started to kind of feel like I, I understood what it was like uh, for these people in this church in Corinth to kind of identify with a, a, a faction or a group. And, and maybe, you know, for me it's more like instead of I will follow, I follow Cephas or Apollos or whatever, it's more like, you know, I follow Charles's group or I follow uh, Mike Breen's group or the missional approach or the house church approach or whatever. But I identify myself and then I kind of compare myself with others and I, and I kind of put myself on a pedestal. And so I identify with, unfortunately, what... what the Apostle Paul calls the fool or the foolish approach in this chapter and um, maybe I I share that with you uh, because not just to kind of confess my own thoughts but just maybe some of you can identify with that sometimes you've maybe found yourself uh, comparing what you're part of with other things and um, you know we're part of a cultural change going on around us uh, in our broader culture and in church and every, every other way um, you know, each generation faces these times where there's shifts that happen. And there's times where it's kind of like the pendulum is swinging back and forth. And there are times we don't even realize that we've been, we've been kind of on this shift. And, we're, and some of the things that we think are the right thing or the relevant thing or whatever, part of that has been determined by just being a part of change that's happening around us. And I think that produces in us naturally... The, the, the feeling that we we compare ourselves to others um, or we we react against other things that are different from where we are now and um, and sometimes we think about where we used to be and we think uh, I'm sure glad I'm not there anymore but we may see people that are part of something that looks like what I used to be part of and we think man you know they're they're stuck in something that I was ignorant back then and now I'm not pointing at you I was ignorant <laughs> back then and now I'm so I'm so glad to be at this other place but that naturally kind of puts on them this 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 sense that I, I've arrived at a better place and and I kind of have started to look down so one reaction is to kind of feel that way the other reaction is to kind of you can kind of kick the, you know place your feet in the sand and you notice all the changes happening around you and you think you look at friends or, or groups and you look at them at changing and you're like oh they're just their roots are really shallow they just they don't have any stamina, or they don't—they don't have any depth to their spirituality or their theology or whatever it is, and and they're just blown around along with the wind, you know. And so, from whatever vantage point you're looking at, the pendulum swinging this way or that, it's easy for us to identify ourselves in these groups and to end up kind of looking down on other groups uh, of people or other just individuals. And so that's part of the problem I've—I started to identify reading this in me. And, and maybe you can relate to some of that. As, as Paul's mentioned, that's kind of exactly what's going on in his letter to the Corinthians. That's what he's addressing and what we just read about. Kind of the backstory is all this infighting and trash talk and, and factions. You know, some say, I follow Peter. Others say, I follow Paul McMullen. Others say, well, you know, the Trump line, well, I follow Jesus. You know, come on. As Josh said last time, good Church of Christ person would probably say that when I read the Bible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's all this, all this infighting and bickering and comparisons, and it's into this circumstance that Paul compares the church to a building, and he says he is the the architect, he's the the chief engineer, 
and he was responsible to lay the foundation. And so the church in Corinth is this building. He's laid the foundation, and that foundation is the gospel of Jesus. As he said earlier in Corinthians, it's the message of the cross. And now Paul in 3.6 mentions, too, that some others have started to kind of build on top of that foundation. In verse 6, he talks about how God used Apollos to do that, to water, to build on top of the foundation. And now apparently other people, maybe it's a follower of Apollos, a second generation or third generation leader who is building on the foundation in such a way that's causing all of this kind of infighting and bickering and trash talking and dissension and disunity that's taking place. And so it's at this point that Paul offers a warning about building materials. And I'm going to read 12 through 15 again if you want to look at it. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So Paul mentions six building materials. Gold, silver, jewels, costly stones, wood, hay, and straw. And this, the fire imagery begs us to break these materials up into two categories. You've got the fire-resistant category and the flammable category. So gold, silver, jewels... That's the fire-resistant category. That's the good quality building material. Wood, straw, and hay, that's the stuff that's flammable. It burns up. It's poorer quality. It's weaker material. And so Paul's basic point is build with the fire-resistant material, which in the broader context, fire-resistant material that you're building on the foundation is the kind of stuff that doesn't get wrapped up in all this bickering and factions and disunity and dissension that's taking place in Corinth. I've got to admit, after reading this little section, I found myself wondering, Paul, couldn't you have made a stronger argument here? Uh, Because essentially he says in verse 15, he says, now, I know that you guys are wrapped up with factions, with disunity. I know they're bad and all. uh, And and you should know that if you build with those kind of materials, that it's going to get burned up. It's not going to last. But then he goes on to say, but don't worry. The builders will still be saved. You'll still... He's addressing the builders, saying, you know, they'll still get out of it. And I, I read this wondering, well, you know, I, I want the builders to be saved. I'm, I'm a builder. I want to be saved. I believe in the grace of God. But, you know, what's the point then, Paul? If they're just going to, you know, if, if, it's, if, if we're going to make it, if the grace of God is going to cover it all in the end, couldn't you have used a stronger argument to try to convince them not to be so wrapped up in dissension and disunity? Does that make sense? So I started... Uh, hanging out with a good friend of mine, Dr. Oster. Uh, He actually used to be a professor of mine. He's written a fine commentary on the book of Corinthians. And he opened my eyes to what the materials are that uh, Paul is talking about. And that changed my perspective on what's going on here. Uh, And that is, if the building that Paul is referring to is the people of God, if it's the church... The foundation is Jesus. The building is the church. It's not a physical structure. It's the actual people. Then the building materials have to be people and not inanimate objects. 
So gold and silver and costly stones is talking about people who have come to faith in their ministry. Searchers who have put their faith in Jesus, um, who have become part of the building. It's talking about people, not about inanimate objects. And so apparently those disciples who had come to faith in this environment of bickering and dissension and disunity, they are weaker material. They are wood, straw and hay. And they're in some and somehow they're they're in danger of not surviving the fire of God's judgment. So what at first glance didn't seem to be a very strong argument is actually stronger and more sobering than I could have imagined. Uh, if our church culture is toxic and jaded and negative toward other parts of the church, if we compare ourselves to other Jesus followers and find ourselves to be in a superior position, you know, kind of looking down on others who don't yet get it yet or who uh, aren't with the times of discipleship and mission. Paul is saying the spiritual well-being of those who come to faith through our work is somehow in jeopardy. That what we build may not last. What we put our energies to may be in vain. And I'm not sure exactly how that works uh, and, and what that means and how that plays out. But that seems to be what Paul is saying. Um, have, any of you, have you seen the movie Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio? Uh, well, if you haven't, I'm going to spill the beans. The basic idea is that a technology has been developed where people can now share dreams with, with each other, uh, or you can you can somehow tap into somebody else's dream and influence them, or find out secrets or even plant an idea in their head and when they wake up they think they had that idea because they had no idea somebody's tampering with their own dreams and so Leonardo and his gang uh, are doing just that they're trying to to plant an idea in this one guy's head it's a a young man whose dad is like this oil tycoon and um, what they're trying to do is have the son break up the dad's business after the dad passes away and he's about to do that and so um, they're deciding what kind of idea can we plant in this guy's head that can then make him, you know, disrupt his father's empire and disperse it. And one guy says, the, we should plant the idea in his head, I don't want to be like my dad. It kind of makes sense, you know, I don't want to be like my dad. Well, Leonardo's like, no, that's not going to work. And he says, we, you know, when you try to do this with a negative idea, it just doesn't take root. It just won't work. And so he's like, we've got to plant a positive idea in his head, and that's what's going to work, and that's what's going to make him actually go ahead and carry through with this and do what we want him to do. Um, that's as much as I'll spoil for it. Um, in, in a similar way, okay, so, so the, the thing is, that as, we're, as we're going about doing God's mission, as we're helping make disciples, as we're doing things, the danger is that somehow we let... Uh, the baggage that we have or the judgment that we might carry or whatever some kind of negative influence what we're doing in that building and that's where that's where as Charles is saying that's the danger that we're being warned against instead uh, what one of the things that he's doing that the Apostle Paul is doing in this chapter is he's giving them a positive picture a positive idea about what the church looks like to God um, now recently we some of us celebrated Valentine's Day, the day of love, and, uh, hubba, hubba. and it made me also think of another scene from this time a TV show, the very romantic show, The Simpsons, and uh, I remember this episode where 
uh, Lisa is at her school, and they're giving out Valentine's Day cards to everybody. And there's this one poor little guy, Ralph, and he's not getting any. So she writes up a little card real quick, and she goes and hands it to him. Does anybody remember what the card said? I, I choo choo choose you. There we go. And uh, so there's a little train. Did you guys rehearse that? It's very cute. Um, no. <laughs> and so Ralph, is, his little heart warms up. He's like, you choo choo choose me. And, of course, it's a beautiful scene. Um, in a not so similar way, uh, in, in, this, in this passage, Paul paints a picture about how God has chosen the church and how it is precious to them. Um, as we read verses 16 and 17 again, he says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. And if you read that and some other verses in, in this part, uh, in this section, you get the idea that God loves, he loves the local church like this is a, this is an affirmation for us. Like God sees us. He sees storyline as precious to him, which is a, a wonderful thought. But then he also looks across time and across space and the, and, and the earth, and he sees all of his people, the church with the big C, and he loves it, and it's precious to him. And he, you know, it's precious to him and beautiful to him, warts and all. Uh, and of course, there are there are warts, you know in the church because it's full of people and it's been people that have been scarred by sin and death and the enemy has has attacked us but when he looks at us he sees through all that and he sees the good news and the grace that's affecting our lives and the healing and the redemption and the forgiveness that we're experiencing and it's like when he looks out at the church he says the church is holy that's how he sees it and holy is not just that it stands apart from the world but I heard one, one person say, holy is more about how it stands out in the midst of the world. And it's like God sees in a room full of people, um, he sees the church walking through, and he's just like, wow, everything else just looks ordinary to him. But the church just is like, wow, this is, it is beautiful. This is where my, this is my building. This is where my spirit dwells. This is the bride of Christ, and that's how much he loves it. And it's wonderful. And that's great news for us, but it's also great news for the church as a, as a whole. And, of course, when we talk about the Big C Church, it's not just what the world thinks of as Christianity or whatever. It's, the, it's, it's referred to sometimes as the invisible church because it's not what we see with our eyes. It's what God sees. And only God knows what's going on in people's hearts and minds and how they've experienced Him and His Spirit's transformation. And so that's what God sees, and that's what is completely beautiful to him. Uh, I've been really blessed to get to know uh, Jay Wright. Some of you guys know Jay from Alpha. Uh, Over the last six months or so, we've become pretty good friends as Storyline has partnered with with Alpha, or with All Saints in Alpha. He's one of the ministers that's on staff at All Saints, and he kind of leads Alpha. And um, you need to know that Storyline and All Saints... Uh, you should know, uh, or I'll tell you, um, that, sto- that Storyline and All Saints are very different churches. So, so All Saints is Anglican, and Storyline is, well, Storyline. Like, I think we started the Christian community denomination, like Storyline Christian Community. Some other churches, inspired by Storyline, named their churches Christian Community. So I guess we're 
we, we started a new denomination. Wow. Um, so uh, uh, All Saints is high church, high liturgy, storyline, more low church, low liturgy. Um, all Saints, we, we're meeting outside right now, okay, right? Um, all, <laughs> low budget, yeah. High budget, low budget. All Saints has priests, uh, storyline, we have hoodlum ministers, you know. Um, sto- the, the priests at All Saints wear collars. I haven't buttoned my collar since I was, you know, married like 12 years ago. Also preaching in sunglasses. That's right. Yes. Uh, All Saints is a Sunday service kind of church. Storyline is a network of missional communities kind of church. Interestingly, Jay used to be a part of um, a non-denominational church that's probably more similar to Storyline than um, All Saints, you know, is now. And he made an intentional shift toward ordination in the Anglican Church um, to go down that path. But you would never know that talking to Jay, uh, because I, I emailed him uh, long, you know, this fall, inquiring about Alpha. And that very same day, he emails me back and says, "Hey, I'm really excited about what you're doing and the church planning stuff. Can we get coffee? Let's go and hang out." And um, ever since then, he has just bent over backwards to to help us. Um, he's he's let us mooch off their facilities and their people power and their administrative energies. Uh, and he he said something to me in our first coffee together that he said several several times since then, and, and that is, um, I um, I support you guys. I, I want to know. However, I can help you. I want to know how I can help you because I I feel like we're all in the kingdom together. And um, we're we're on the same team, and I love church planning. I love what y'all are about, and I want you to succeed. And that's pretty cool. Uh, Jay, I think, embodies this this attitude um, that we see Paul trying to encourage the Corinthian church in to see the church as precious to God, because the church is you can tell the church in all of its forms is precious to Jay like it is to God. And I, I, I think God is calling us, and may we as God's people embody more and more that kind of heart and that kind of attitude um, toward the church, and especially as we're forming disciples, as we're connecting to searchers and investing our lives into them, that, that we would, by God's power and alongside of God, help to form in them the same kind of heart so that they'll be disciples who are made of gold instead of disciples who are made of hay or straw or wood. Um, so, uh, you know, and I, let, me, let me ask just real, uh, let, me, let me ask just real briefly, um, what do you, how do we respond to this? What do we need to do in response to this? What comes to your mind in terms of how do you respond to this uh, discussion? Now, do you follow Paul or do you follow Charles? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sarcasm is okay. I I endorse it wholeheartedly. I was thinking when I talk to people who have never been exposed to Christianity, mostly in Russia, that's one of the first questions they ask me. Why are there so many denominations? What is the difference? You know, and mm. um, I mean, I used to hate answering that question. And what do you think about the, you know, 
have an answer and an understanding of what the people are getting at. Because I think once you start saying, well, those people out there, you know, we are the role. Yeah. Yeah. You're fragmented yeah. and splintered. Yeah. Great point. So I guess maybe one thing I hear out of your uh, what you're saying is that one way we can respond is to honor the church in all of its forms and what we say. Yes. When people ask us in in questions that might you know unconsciously or subconsciously pose us against other forms of the church that we could speak in words of blessing and honor and speak as if the, the, the whole church is precious to us like it is to God. Yeah. Well, go other people when they met now, you know, and they're Christians because sometimes it's easy to stand those Catholics. Yeah. Um, so you got, you got something against the Catholics, huh? I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, Dasha. Let, let me pray that God will, uh, God will work in us to respond to this. God, um, we love you and we're so thankful that we are precious to you. God, may we turn around and and honor the, the rest of the church that we're a part of, the church universal, the church uh, invisible, the church in Dallas. Um, would you give us words of love and blessing, um, even in the midst of all the warts, um, even in the midst of the brokenness and the... Um, the stuff that we're we're obviously missing, um, just because we're we're fallen and we're, we fall short. God, would you help us to give grace to the church the same way that you've given grace to us, being a part of the church as we are? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.